0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, October 21st. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Neufeld. We ask the Chief about the increase in violent crime in our city, including close to double the number of murders year over year.
1: Next, we look ahead to the 2021 economic outlook for the city. We get details on the forecast from Mary Moran, President and CEO of Calgary Economic Development.
0: The UK has been hit with skyrocketing numbers of COVID-19 cases and deaths this week. The highest numbers since spring. We get an update on the current situation with UK broadcaster and business owner Kenny James.
1: And finally, it's new technology being used to make long-term care facilities safer for residents and staff during the pandemic. We hear about the new tech being used by Calgary company Seguro Insight.
0: 709 on the morning news. Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld joins us this morning for his monthly visit with us here on the morning news. Good morning to you, Chief. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Good morning. We want to start with the increase of violent crime over recent months, particularly an increase in homicides in our city with close to double the number this year compared to last. So what can we attribute this increase to year over year?
2: Yeah, well, good question. I I don't know um, for this particular year. It's been such a strange year uh, because of the pandemic and everything that's gone on. It's really hard to compare it to any other. But uh, as you say, the numbers are certainly up. And what's disconcerting is that after um, a a bit of a decrease in the first few months of the pandemic, uh, violent crime has certainly been the aspect of crime that's taken the biggest jump and the biggest catch-up. As you say, I think we're at 27 homicides uh, this year at this time. And I think last year, this time, we were at around 15. And so that's uh, that's still within the range that we've seen in the past. It's not like it's a, it's a record or anything like that. But it's certainly at the higher end, as you say.
1: Chief, how does it work within the force in terms of seeing numbers, greater numbers of homicides? Do you start to move officers around or are they set in their areas and, and what they focus on?
2: No, you know... Uh, so as the community has uh, grown, um, we have a pretty good idea of how to police the community and where the issues are perennially. So I think what happens if we try to move officers around in response to um, what might be one-off issues in certain areas, we find that we're just chasing it. Whereas if we uh, sort of stay in the areas where we know that there needs to be additional focus, that's a better approach over time.
0: Chief, I know you're laser-focused on what's happening in our city. It's your main concern. But I'm wondering, you know, when we talk about 27 or 28 homicides in a 10-month period in the city of Calgary, how does that compare to other cities uh, like size cities in our nation?
2: Yeah, we're still actually under uh, one of the safest uh, CMAs. Uh, and when I say that, I, I would want to qualify that and say, you know, one murder is one too many. Uh, certainly these are tragic events that uh, impact the community and individuals. But uh, certainly in, in uh, major cities like ours, we wouldn't expect the number to be zero, as nice as that mm-hmm. might be. So we're, we are certainly still within the range, and our, and our rates of violent crime and homicide are still lower uh, in relation to uh, large CMAs. So on the one hand, Calgary is a safe city, but we work very hard uh, to continue to try to make it safer
1: chief i know uh, petty crimes a lot of break-ins in in communities and that the numbers were down when the pandemic began not sure if they did increase as started people started going back to work etc what's your focus now as we move into the cold weather is it sort of that operation cold start um you know uh, philosophy again this year or are, is there more beyond that
2: Well, a couple of things. Um, So I think uh, we can expect, again, to see, based on seasonal trends, um, more auto theft. And as we get up in the mornings now to frost and snow and that sort of thing, we know that people end up um, warming up their vehicles. Or even when you pop into, you know, your favorite coffee shop in the morning or whatever, some folks will either get gas or run in and let their vehicles... uh, run and it just takes a second uh, and we've seen it over and over again every year so we will again be doing uh, operation cold start we find that that's a good way to try to remind uh, people that the threat of having your vehicle stolen is always there and again it only takes a second and so there are things that we can do whether it's uh, you know mechanical uh, devices like clubs or um, you know remote starters if that's an option or, or even just choosing not to leave your vehicle open um, when you leave it even for a short period of time the other thing I think is uh, going into the holiday season here and when folks are shopping and that sort of thing, If you're leaving valuables in in, uh, plain view or visible inside your vehicle, you're predisposing yourself to be victimized and having uh, your stuff stolen. And So, like I say, little things we can do make a big difference in uh, those those, uh, seasonal crime numbers.
0: Chief, uh, you know we talked about the temperatures getting colder, people leaving their cars running. Something that was in a, uh, came up in our morning meeting was uh, the role that police play in the homeless population getting somewhere warm. So, is there a protocol in place, and what sorts of thing happen? Uh, sort of things happen when a regular constable rolls up and sees a homeless person in minus twenty degree weather. Is there a, a, a certain process?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, our people are actually really good about being. Um uh, sensitive to that. As it gets colder, we want to make sure that nobody's uh, exposed to the elements. And as you know, there's been more people, I think, uh, you know, this year and as a result of coming out of uh, the pandemic earlier in the, the cold months of, of uh, the early part of the year. Um, you know, some of the uh, uh, homeless population have had some concern about going to shelters and places like that because they, you know, they can't physically distance and that sort of thing. So we've seen a bit more, uh, I think, in terms of uh, people sleeping rough than encampments this year. And so our people are are well aware of that and so as you know there are more people out in the elements and so we'll be connecting and that sort of thing and, and getting them reconnected and I, and I know that places like Alpha House and the DI are sensitive to um to the uh, public health guidance here, as we're going into the colder months as well, um, but but I do realize that some of the community has some apprehension, so this may be a bit of a different year again in terms of uh, in terms of dealing with uh, the cold weather.
1: On a somewhat related note, as the rest of us are, are you know we're by 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 law enforced to wear masks, what are the masking rules for city police officers?
2: Yeah, so we encourage our people to wear masks uh, when they can, and that's uh, even in our buildings. Uh, like in the back hallways. I mean, we, we would like to uh, see our people following um, the uh, city bylaw where they can. And, you know, people are looking uh, to us to uh, provide that uh, leadership and demonstrate, um, you know, the following of those bylaws as well. And so, yeah, so when dealing with the public and when in public spaces like everybody else, which includes uh, our buildings and even the back hallways, uh, our folks are wearing masks.
0: Wearing masks, uh, but it it doesn't deter, uh, you know, when you're uh, doing your job. And uh, just to to review, if I'm pulled over, the officer will be wearing a mask. Uh, Is it uh, asked that the person who's been pulled over wear a mask in their vehicle if they're having a conversation?
2: Um, You know what? In vehicles, people wouldn't have to do that. Um, And again, you generally speaking, our officers are able to maintain the type of distance they would need to to make sure people are safe but you know we've all seen as we drive around the city people that are wearing masks inside their own vehicles and I, I you know to me that sometimes signals uh, a higher degree of sensitivity you know perhaps because you've got uh, relatives or loved ones that are compromised uh, have immune systems and that sort of thing so we ask our people to make sure that um, when they're having those interactions if you see that and somebody has sensitivity about it, just ask them if they're comfortable. Again, we, we encourage our people to wear masks all the time during those interactions. We understand that some of the interactions are spontaneous, and so they may not have them on right away, but certainly to be respectful if uh, if there seems to be uh, some sensitivities around that, it seems to be the only reasonable thing would be to don a mask.
1: Appreciate your time this morning, Chief. Thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, you too. Thanks, uh, you guys.
1: That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld.
0: That's uh, interesting, you know, and uh, he did mention that You know, our city is relatively safe. As he did also mention, one murder is one too many. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I think that increase, uh, almost double in a 10-month period, has to have some people concerned for sure.
1: Every year, Calgary Economic Development's Economic Outlook traditionally brings together more than 1,500 business, government, community leaders all getting together to network and hear about future economic trends and forecasts for the city of Calgary, for the province and for the country. Well, this event happened yesterday and with more details on what our economic outlook for 2021 is shaping up as we're joined this morning by President and CEO of Calgary Economic Development, Mary Moran. Hi, Mary. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. I would imagine, really, it can only get better. So how do you prep, though, for another year of of the unknown? Yeah, well, I think,
3: you know, the message yesterday was very, very clear um, that, you know, we continue to have struggles in kind of the backbone of our economy in the energy industry. And we're continuing to see people displaced out of uh, positions. And so you know, the big macro trends that are coming towards a city like Calgary that's so focused on industrial sectors, energy, agriculture and transportation is really about digital technologies and software that will make them more predictive, more competitive and more productive. And so, you know, it's happening globally and COVID accelerated the adoption of digital technologies. And so we talked a lot about The growing tech sector here, the fact that we're attracting, like we're on the dawn of improving, kind of attracting capital into this market, but still have a lot of work to do. But, you know, that it will be a major job creator for the future. And so we really do have an opportunity to be the centre in Canada that is uh, responsible for that digital transformation in our industrial sectors in Canada.
0: Did the results from this year, Mary, underscore and legitimize the fact that uh, industry in our province and specifically in our city in southern Alberta really got the point that we have to diversify?
3: I think so. And, you know, I think, you know, we've been standing in front of the community talking about a strategy uh, that is based on digital transformation, which is called Calgary in the New Economy, um, which helps us, you know, attract more companies in agriculture, life sciences. Uh, as I said, transportation, logistics, and aerospace, in addition to energy. So, you know, we really talked... Um, we talked yesterday about, you know, uh, that there's there's long-term opportunities in these areas, and we really need to focus on not just the defence strategy for the energy industry and making sure that we still are a global energy centre and, and, you know, a leader in clean energy and delivering lower carbon energy to the world, but we also have to go pursue these other opportunities. And, and in reality when you have, uh, you know, we have enough office space to support a population of about 4 million people. We're really overbuilt for a city of our size, and uh, if you, we have a, enough space, to empty office space in downtown Calgary to support another 130,000 people coming into the downtown core. So when you're in that kind of a situation, you know, when, you just, sorry, I just stopped there, but, it, you know, we have double on a per capita basis than Toronto, triple, kind of areas like pittsburgh and denver four times as much as a city like detroit on a per capita basis and so we have to look for other opportunities because although we want the energy industry to be successful uh, that it won't be the mega job creator and so we really do have to look for other opportunities and the good news is the government of alberta's recovery plan is very aligned with our strategy that we've been um, leading for about two years and making you know you know, some steps forward on and
1: uh, I think alignment of governments is, you know, a quantum leap forward in trying to achieve these goals. I love that you're using the word opportunity and I wonder if, you know, as we look forward into a year that that probably is still full of a lot of unknowns, mm-hmm. is this a, an even bigger and better opportunity to create and to sort of redesign what our city might look like moving forward to, to kind of, trying to, you know, even what it, more so than what it was originally to come up with some new ideas because we don't know what's going to happen so much in 2021.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of unpredictability. Um, anybody, we always talk about, you know, we're dealing with mystery here with no history in Calgary yeah. or in the world with COVID. and But particularly in Calgary where it's compounding problems that we already had for the last seven years with structural change, another global Price war um, and you know this is this dramatic swing in supply and demand in in the energy industry that happened earlier this year and so the the definitely we're we're planning on you know quicksand in some ways but and there's going to be a lot of unpredictability in areas like travel and retail and things like that that we just don't know how uh, consumer behaviors will change but it really does give us an opportunity we have to acknowledge the fact we're a city of very smart people that have always. You know, dealt with unexpected changes and and, and adapted to the new realities, and so I think this gives us a great opportunity. And having a science-based talent pool here is really important in in a main ingredient in in us achieving those goals of transitioning and diversifying and so i think we're well set up we have a low corporate tax rate we have an abundance of affordable office space and super smart people and not to mention a great quality of life so we're going to continue to work on attracting companies helping high potential companies here grow as well as uh, run the defense strategy for our energy industry
0: mary thanks so much for your time this morning
3: Thank you very much.
0: 642 on the morning news. And yesterday, Britain recorded the deaths of 241 people with COVID-19 in its highest uh, death toll since June 5th. This is another 21,000 people were confirmed to have tested positive from COVID-19. As a result of the skyrocketing numbers, uh, many areas in the region are now going into a second lockdown. With details on the current situation, we're joined by Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner who lives just outside Manchester. Good morning to you, Kenny. Morning, guys. Well, let's uh, break this down. When you talk about this second lockdown, it's not a blanket across the region, but it's, it's going to be region by region. Is that right?
4: Yeah. Um, what's happened in the past week or so, they're targeting specific areas where there's been a big growth uh, in the number of infections. And each area has different types of uh, restrictions and things that can happen and things that can't. Yesterday, Manchester was placed. Um, Greater Manchester, which is a, a big region, northwest of England, was placed in compulsory lockdown as of this coming Thursday um, by by the Prime Minister personally because the local the mayors and local representatives couldn't reach an agreement. So the Prime Minister stepped in personally and has, has put Manchester into lockdown, uh, which follows Liverpool, the Liverpool area, in lockdown from last week. Um, uh, Lancashire, which is just in, in, in the northwest again. But the northwest has, has been a specifically uh, childhood area because of that, the high rate of growth of infection.
1: Kenny, curious as to what the rules are around masks, wearing of masks in the UK and about uh, gatherings and the number of people that can gather.
4: Okay, in masks, uh, not compulsory on the street, so you can walk along the street without them. Uh, in any shops, you have to wear them when you enter shops or railway stations or, or now uh, bars, restaurants, until you're seated then you may take them off. But if you get up to go to the WC or to, you can't go to the bar anymore. It's all table service and restaurants and, and, and pubs. Um, but uh, on the street, you're fine. In terms of gatherings, <clears throat> there's, there's a, a, a six now, a little hub of six people. So if there are six people in your household, that's fine. Beyond, beyond six, you can't go out and socialize together and you can't socialize in another person's house in a group of more than six.
0: Kenny, what are officials attributing this uh, huge increase to? What are they, what are they pointing fingers at?
4: Um, And a mixture of things in in the the places where it's been growing exponentially in recent weeks, a place where there are universities. So um, a lot of universities are coming back uh, for the new new season. Um, All the university parties and people socialising. So in Manchester, Liverpool, those areas are big university areas. Uh, Elsewhere, it's, uh, again, people just being out and about on the street and and, meeting more people than they were three months ago when we were in a much more steady lockdown period.
1: With lockdowns looming, Kenny, are people worried? Are, are your fellow citizens thinking, oh, we need to really, you know, buckle down? Or are people kind of, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal?
4: Well, we have this thing over here. It's a three-tier system now. Um, so so areas of, 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 there's nowhere being described as, as low risk. But the, the lowest in the UK is medium risk now. So areas of medium risk are tier one. And that means you can do most things without too much of restriction. Uh, bars and restaurants have to close at 10 p.m. each evening. Um, then you have a tier two work, which is high, a high risk area, where there are more restrictions and than and, and, and the tier three level, which is what Manchester uh, has been placed into and, and much of the northwest of the UK. They, they are, uh, bar restaurants are, are almost all closed unless the majority of, of their trade is food. So it's just reminded people that it's still around and it's still a high risk. And of course, the, the, the older the people are, the, the higher risk they fall into. It's just given people a, a stark reminder with you that... This thing hadn't just gone away.
0: Mm-hmm. How about hospitals and healthcare systems? Uh, what are you hearing as far as um, if they're able to uh, handle this increase? Or is this something that they're cognizant? They're mentioning, I guess, to the public uh, as as far as a warning.
4: So far, the the sort of the, the, the high dependency units and the the, the the ones that were put together. There were several big hospitals put together across the UK, uh, Florence Nightingale hospitals they called them, which were mass centers that. that expected people to go into if we got into a very high level of, of infection across the UK. Uh, they were built for last time four or five months ago, were scarcely used. They've been taken back out of mothball again, back to be ready. Uh, the hospitals themselves in normal hospitals are experiencing a higher rate of, of people in, in, in high dependency and in uh, um, that, that needs uh, intensive nursing care. But still these measures that they're putting in place now that the government are putting in place and local areas are putting in place are hopefully to stop hospitals getting overwhelmed.
1: Well, we're hoping that uh, your country can get things under control and and nobody, it doesn't matter what country, and nobody wants another lockdown. So good luck with you, Kenny. Thanks so much for the update. Thanks, guys. That is Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner. 6.09 609 now. And a Calgary company, Seguro Insight, is introducing technology that would help make long term care homes safer and help to rebuild the public's trust in the long term care facilities themselves. Joining us this morning are David Evans, co founder and partner at Seguro Insight, and Lisa Marin, who is sales and marketing with Seguro. And good morning to both of you. Thanks for joining us. Uh-huh. Good morning. And good morning. David, let's start with you. Can you explain what you've got here? Break it down for us. It's a a tracking bracelet of sorts, correct?
5: That's right. It's uh, something that the patients and staff, everybody that actually would enter a long-term care home would wear. And it uses a tracking methodology that you can tell who those people come into contact with. And it's also hooked up to some infection control programs, such as hand hygiene. So it can make sure that... uh, within reasonable um, consideration, people are actually and hygiene Mm. practices.
0: Very interesting. And, Elisa, this one's for you as far as, you know, being in the long-term care. Uh, This is an area in our society that's been decimated by the pandemic where, you know, when it comes to tracing, the speed in which we can trace is key. So I'm assuming you've had some half-decent feedback from long-term care centers when it comes to this tech.
6: Yeah, right now the contact tracing program in long-term care is, is a little, it's difficult. It's not as difficult as tracking people from that wedding, I'm thinking. <laughs> but uh, if, it's, if you're in a home, what it can do is we record all the data for a three-week period. So if somebody starts becoming symptomatic, you can track who that person has been in contact with, how far away they were from people, and for the duration of the contact event. So it's a lot easier to be able to say this person has been in contact with these five people and those are the people that we need to either put into quarantine management themselves or isolation and then the patient that is symptomatic can go into a quarantine ward.
1: And as you said, it you know, keeps a three-week history, too. So that's, is that what makes it different uh, from other tracking devices? Or is it the, sort of the hand-washing aspect of things that makes this a different tracking device?
6: You know, there's so many different aspects to infection control. These are two of the best. And so in that respect, I think that we've got a a great system. The hand hygiene monitoring is also very important, so that if a staff member was going into a patient room, that they have to stop and have um, either at the sink or at the sanitation station where the... Santa hand sanitizer is. Mm-hmm. And they have to spend a certain amount of time there. If they don't, they're sent a little buzz that goes on their wrist to remind them that they need to do that. And hand hygiene is so important. Over 70% of hospital acquired infections could have been prevented if they'd been using consistently good hand hygiene. So this system reminds them to do that. The current the current method of auditing the hand hygiene is, uh, is manual. It's not as accurate. It doesn't get all the events. Our system actually records all the events and keeps track of it so that everybody knows the percentage of times that hand hygiene has not been used or conversely has increased.
0: David, uh, when you talk about tech and you talk about tracing and, and recording, there's a lot of issues surrounding privacy. So I'm wondering, ultimately, is this information s- uh, stored, you know, for example, at the facility that's purchased the tech or is it stored somewhere else or what sort of you know protocols are in place to protect some privacy uh, within the people using this tech?
5: The data is actually stored in a cloud and it gets um, dumped after three weeks. All of our data follows the HIPAA standards, so it protects the patient's safety. And uh, we don't even use names, actually. We use, like, a room number and initials. And it also gives us the temperature, that same uh, hand bracelet or... uh, Lanyard will give us a temperature reading whenever the nurse asks for it. Mm. If there's any deviation in that uh temperature and they've been in contact, they can dial up the isolation so they can be sort of kept sort of on a soft isolation if you if you will. So that's one thing and plus with the fact that it's being kept track of, it gives the nursing homes some kind of a defense with all the lawsuits. There's probably close there's probably seven, $800 million in lawsuits across Canada right now. They, the nursing homes aren't being able to get insurance because they can't prove that they were in compliance. This one, it shows that they're in compliance. If there's any early notices of the COVID-19. That uh, flags go up and it starts almost instantaneously once there's uh, signs from
1: people. Sounds like brilliant technology, David. And, and obviously with it being National Infection Control Week, perfect time to talk about it. What what kind of costs are you looking at for something like this? And and have you seen lots of interest from the nursing and care homes?
5: Uh, Lisa's probably got a better idea on that one.
1: Okay. So, Lisa, so, cost on the, the, the technology itself to implement well, it, and, and are you getting lots of good feedback as of yet? You know, one
6: of, the, one of the best things about this system is that it's scalable. So if you wanted to start with one, one wing in your long-term care, perhaps it might be the memory care ward or the dementia care ward, you can start with that one area and branch out it's scalable but what we do and this makes us different from a lot of other companies is that we actually find out what the pain points are the system is really can do so much this is these are three areas of what this system can do and it can be as uh, as small as asset tracking and it can be as large as as Putting in workflows and whatever else. So what we have to determine first before we even do cost is that we have to determine what they want to do, and if they want to start in one area and expand, that can be done too. But you're probably looking at a startup price if you want to start doing the one one wing one area. You're looking at probably twenty five thousand, and then it goes up from there. Mm-hmm
0: but you can customize it and you can build it along the way. Fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I can see applications beyond our city and our nation. Uh, if, if, if this is uh, so unique, have you had any uh, thoughts of moving it uh, outside of our country?
6: Well, it actually came from outside our country. And so we're just the Canadian representatives. We're here to take care of Canada. And that's what we intend to do for long-term
1: care. Well, it's a brilliant piece of technology and I love that uh, you, based here in Calgary with Seguro Insight, are are bringing it to the market. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us and uh, maybe that will help make some of our seniors safer. Appreciate your time this morning. Oh, thanks very much, Sue. Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day. David Evans, co-founder and partner at Seguro Insight and Lisa Marin, sales and marketing at Seguro.